0: And this is Events Demystified brought to you by G-Fun Events and I'm your host Anka. When you have a cause you care so much about and have gone so far to own it and champion it, it might probably be the time to start your own nonprofit charity to spread your work to a wider audience. But starting a charity can certainly feel like a big undertaking and there's definitely basic steps that you need to follow to make sure that you start on the right foot. So during today's episode, this is what we will cover. with. My guest, Travis Johnson, from the nonprofit Architect. Travis Johnson is an event coordinator and a published author. Currently, an active duty officer in the United States Navy. He's married with two children and on the 50th move. His humble beginnings include 36 moves before graduating high school at 17, six states, five foster homes, surviving two murder attempts, and getting in serious trouble with the law. Although this was very rough, there was always a person a group a church willing to help him and his family and now he's in that position where he can give back and he's made it his mission to help the helpers it is my pleasure to welcome travis to the show and have a conversation about what it's like to be him moving 50 times travis welcome to the show and wow That's crazy. You need to tell me all about the 50 times that you moved in your life. But before we get there, just tell me, how are you? Good to see you.
1: I'm doing well, Ake. Thanks for having me on the show today.
0: Absolutely. Now let's just break the ice with the story behind your life. Just tell us everything.
1: (laughs) <laughs> well, it, I mean, it was, how, how long is your program today? You well, have a we have hours. about like
0: five hours.
1: <laughs> five hours. Oh, easy. I can get everything out in five hours. That's no problem at all.
0: <laughs> but really, like in just a few words, 50 moves. That's a lot.
1: It's not a little bit. 50 moves is quite a bit. I think the average person moves seven times in their lifetime. And I had that done probably before I was five. Wow. Yeah. Most of it has to do with my mother having mental health challenges. So every time that she needed professional care, we would have to go move either with a family member or into a foster home. Mm -hmm. And then when she got out of care, we'd have to go move somewhere else. So every time she went into care involved at least three different moves.
0: Wow. That must have been really rough as a child to constantly not know where you're going to be next. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And I can see how that certainly builds a level of empathy for kids and people that go through that type of situation like nobody else.
1: Yep. Absolutely.
0: Now, before we kickstart our conversation about nonprofit strategies and best practices, would you let our audience know, in so many words, who you are and what you're up to, aside from the introduction, <laughs> and what prompted you to get started doing nonprofit work?
1: Well, it's a great question. I appreciate you asking. When you move that many times, you really don't know how to be part of a community. And mm-hmm. I got to a point where I was finally stable and settled, and not in that scarcity mode, not in that survival mindset, mm-hmm. and. I wanted to figure out how to really interact with the community. I've been in Oklahoma City for a number of years, and I asked around. I was like, what do people in communities do? I I wasn't really sure. And they're like, well, people in communities, they serve on boards. They show up to town hall meetings. They help out with nonprofits. They help build memorials and other things of that nature. And I said, great, where do I sign up? Well, (laughs) he's like, well, I've got a connection for you. So I went down to this networking meeting, and I showed up with a good attitude, just ready to help. And if you don't know what you're doing, those are three great places to start show up with a great attitude, ready to help. It'll get you really far in life. And met a few people, had a couple of conversations. Within two weeks, I was a published author and on the board of Books by Vets, helping veterans and first responders heal through sharing their stories, which Mm -hmm. was just an amazing time, an amazing cause. It was very happy and helpful to thank them and work with them. It It was very interesting. We helped 50 different veterans get published. Lots and lots of fun. Glad to be there. And that led to my next time of being on a board at the shine foundation and we did a lot of our fundraising through concerts you can kind of see the bottom of the picture over here is a photo with my wife and i and chris christopherson at that concert we helped set up and do some fundraising and that was a lot of fun but then got into the podcast game i got stationed over uh, in the kingdom of bahrain this little guy right here usually on zoom and samir instead of yes (laughs) uh, yeah gets me every time It was a little island in the Middle East. And I was like, how am I supposed to keep doing all this fun nonprofit work? And someone's like, well, you do have that smooth, buttery voice. Maybe you should start your own podcast. Mm. And I did. So now we interview nonprofit leaders, business leaders, consultants, and people with the special skills to help nonprofits do it better. And we give you the actual how-to steps and how to do it. But uh, really, I just enjoy having great conversations and learning how to do it better and sharing with real real legitimate value with our audience.
0: That's awesome. It's my experience as well. You get to talk to so many people learn their story and then realize that we all have a lot of things in common we might be different in so many ways yet there's so many tangents through our stories that we can um, connect with and live through someone's story some of the things Mm -hmm. that we've been through and support and help their process now trying to keep us (laughs) on topic here with what we're going to talk about i can imagine how you get uh, so often to talk to so many people with big hearts that have vision and a mission, but many times, unfortunately, that doesn't necessarily translate into having a process and a structure or even the knowledge, the how-to knowledge, how to start and how to run a nonprofit, nor do they have, you know, maybe the business um, acumen to make it successful. So for someone that really has it on their heart, this is something that they would attempt, you know, what are some of the best practices you could share with them and what to do in order to start and run a nonprofit, a charity, whatever that might be, successfully.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Great question. I get asked this all the time. In fact, just before hopping on this with you, I was on a call with a young lady in Leavenworth, Kansas, looking to start her own nonprofit. And mm-hmm. we went through the things that we need to do to make sure that we're starting a nonprofit with success, yeah. if that's what it turns out. Because like you said, having a big heart and wanting to help a group of people is not the same as knowing how to do it. And it's not the same as knowing how to run a business because most of the things you will do in nonprofit have nothing to do with helping that group of people. Everyone wants to start for the services that they want to provide, but that doesn't help you in fundraising, admin yeah. work, dealing with a board, volunteers, and all of those other things. So we want to really make sure that starting a nonprofit is the right thing to do. Yeah. So the first thing we got to do, we've got to survey the area. We've got to find out who in our neck of the woods, who in our city or our local area is doing something similar or the same as what we're wanting to do. There's a lot of great tools out there. You have your local center for nonprofits and you have your dot where you can go and search based on zip code and type of services to see what's offered in your area. And you want to have conversations. What are they providing? Where can you plug in? Because potentially it's a lot easier to plug into an already existing program and you just come in and do the thing you want to do, right? You want to help homeless veterans. You want to help develop children. You want to help through whatever you're looking to do. And it's much easier if someone else is already doing it. You can volunteer and sign on with your passion and get started this week as opposed to starting a nonprofit. And, potentially taking years before you can actually deliver services like yeah. you would prefer. So I had a great interview with Candice Leozu at Foster 360. She talks about wanting to help kids aging out of the foster care system. Mm-hmm. And me being a five-time foster kid, it was near and dear to my heart. And we had a great conversation because she was a businesswoman first. And she looked at the system in Mesa, Arizona, where she's from. That's kind of the Mesa, Scottsdale, Tempe, Phoenix area, giant metro area down there in Arizona. And she found out that there was tons and tons and tons of organizations helping foster kids and people aging out of a foster care system. So she didn't initially start a program right away. She was interested in to see what they were doing and where she could fit in and what she found was just about everything is covered, but they were being treated like they were just in the foster care system right? Our program doesn't work for you. We just send you down the line to the next program. There was no one helping someone navigate that system. So what Foster 360 does is they pair up someone aging out of the foster care system with a mentor and they go to all of these places together and help navigate Mm -hmm. the system. She found something that was actually needed and created a program to do that. And she didn't want to start her own show either. So she got under the umbrella of the United Way to develop her own program. So she didn't have to start her own show from the ground up. So she mm-hmm. found what was actually needed, what was in the area where the gap was, created a service to fill that gap. And then she still didn't even start really her own thing. She started under the umbrella of someone else, which is what we're trying to do. Because if we have that on our hearts to help a group of people, that's what we should do. Find someone yeah. that's already doing it and add in there. Find a way to plug in and get started today instead of starting our own nonprofit.
0: Which is such a huge undertaking, especially if you've never done it before, right? So at what point would you say, then you could, attempt to go on your own now that you've done all this prior steps to quantify, is this something that really will make a difference in this specific area that I'm trying to serve here?
1: What we really want to take a look at is the strategic plan, because if we want to provide a service, we might have experience in that. But similar to starting your own business, just because I might be a software developer doesn't necessarily mean I should start my own Software development business, because although I know coding and how to make the things on the screen move, I might not have any idea how to start the business. Yeah. So you have to start a lot by learning. And really, a big part of that is creating your strategic plan. What does this look like? How is this going to be built out? Who are my players, right? Who am I going to have on my board? Keep in mind, this is not your buddy and your hubby and your sister in law. These are people that are going to help your nonprofit grow. You want it to reflect the community. You want it to be in skills that you might not have the skills in, right? Mm-hmm. This might be entrepreneurship, business ownership. It might be legal services or a CPA. There's lists out there you can find. I know I've had discussions where people, they lay out, this is what your board needs to look like, but you need to have a couple of players that are willing to give you about 10 hours of time a week. Now you're probably not going to have 10 hours of work for them to do, but if they're not willing to say they have 10 hours available, they probably aren't the people that you want helping you get this thing started because you're not doing it on your own. You're doing it as a team. Mm-hmm. You really need to understand if you're trying to start something like this that you'll need to have time for strategic planning. You'll need to have time to create a team that's going to do work with you, not necessarily for you, but you can't do it on your own without a good team. It just isn't enough time and you don't have all the skills yourself to make this thing work. Uh, The next thing you need to know is how are you going to fund this thing? What is the program actually going to cost to deliver? And not just the cost of delivering the program, but the cost of administering the programs. And then if you're going to have paid staff and what that looks like. I know there's a lot of discussions out there about people doing their own thing and trying to be all volunteer. And they're really proud of that thing. But I've run into a lot of donors that won't donate to an all volunteer staff because if those volunteers leave, Mm -hmm. I know, of course, paid staff can leave as well. But like if I give you this $50,000, who is in place to keep this thing up and running? Where's the structure at? Who's actually working for the nonprofit? I am not a fan personally, and I don't know everything. I'm not a fan of executive directors that don't get paid. Mm -hmm. It's not some kind of badge of honor, to me, they're wearing themselves out. And how long is it? it really is just a countdown until they get burned out and quit. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, absolutely. And that is the story of so many nonprofits and good missions that end up providing really good services for the community and then burning out, like you said, because they don't have that structure in place to be mm-hmm. able to just use some of the support around them so they don't have to do everything. And I've seen this again and again. I'm on the board of a few nonprofits as well. And I was going to make a little joke. You mean like meeting once a year for the <laughs> nonprofit board meeting is not enough to run a nonprofit? No,
1: not, not effectively. <laughs> not effectively for sure.
0: Absolutely. Now, on the same nonprofit strategies for success topic, could you share your best tips to identify sponsorship opportunities for nonprofits and what kind of steps you need to take to discover what you have to offer as a nonprofit to your sponsors to even get in front of them?
1: Ah, uh, that's definitely something that I, I talk about. A lot of people that are have been in the nonprofit world for a long time really do not like what I have to say. They've been doing it the same way for fifty years.
0: Rock the boat,
1: Travis. <laughs> time to it. rock the boat. I've had people call me uh, the nonprofit heretic because they can't possibly <laughs> believe that I would speak the way. It's a completely different way of doing business because I don't do sponsorships yeah. the way that that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If I am going to partner with a business, I want everyone to have value because the standard sponsorship is begging a business for money. Hey, could you please give me some money? It would be really great. We'll put your logo over here. And won't that be wonderful? Yeah. I don't really feel like that has a lot of value. What I like to do, and actually the guy that does this, the guy that interviewed Isaac Belden is actually in Boise with you. We offer credit card processing services. Mm -hmm. So the business itself gets a lower rate with a flat fee on everything right now there's square and there's stripe and there's PayPal and they, they find a lot of reasons to charge you more than their advertised rate. We don't do that. We charge you a flat rate. So the business themselves gets more money in their pocket to build their business, to take care of their families or whatever their vision is. The credit card processing company gets paid as well. But from that fee, a portion of that fee goes directly to a nonprofit of your choice. So if you're in the business thinking about this, and I don't know why you're listening to a nonprofit show, but there's ways to do this things at 12 B, Gives, who's out of Boise, Idaho. And if you're not a fan of Idaho, I've got friends in other parts of the country who do the same thing.
0: Everybody's a fan of Idaho. Travis, what are you talking about? You have no idea how many people are moving
1: in right now. Californian, <laughs> Oregon. They need to it's stay true. there. It's true. And then all the Idahoans
0: were like, we're going to move to Texas now.
1: <laughs> yeah. A lot of Californians are moving to Texas too. There's a reason billionaires live there and it's because there's no state income tax. Another what looks topic like, of
0: discussion. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, another off topic, right? So the business has more money in their pocket. They're able to support a nonprofit each and every transaction. My buddy gets paid, who's a veteran who also has his own nonprofit. He gets paid. And then a nonprofit gets paid each and every month from the transaction fees. Now, what might that look like? Depending on where the business is at in monthly revenue, that might only mean a couple of bucks in their pocket. Maybe. If they're doing a lot of revenue, like the Shine Foundation, we partner with a local junior college here, and that one single partnership doing exactly that fully funds the foundation. They don't have to do a single other fundraiser at any point in the year to get anything accomplished. So it could be a, a one hit kill. No kidding. The right partnership.
0: Exactly. And it's something that you don't have to work so hard for
1: as you would with your traditional mm-hmm. sponsorship. Well, everything that we do, we hate, 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 hate one time gifts. If you give me a one time gift, right, if I, if I my budget is $10,000 a month and I have to find 10,000 individual dollars every month. And when it clicks over, over to the first of the next month, I got to start from zero. Why would I put myself under so much stress, so much pressure, and honestly, so much work? If you create ways to generate recurring revenue, right? And this is one way to, of the three ways that I teach to generate recurring revenue. That means the, month that, the next month you have to get, maybe now you have to find $9,000. Mm-hmm. And the next month after that, maybe you only have to find $8,000. So if you are at 10 grand a month and every month you figure out how to get a thousand of that recurring, then after 10 months, you no longer have to go through that slog of finding new donors each and every month. Mm-hmm. You've solved your fundraising problem essentially permanently because you don't have to ask for any more money. It's already coming in. And as long as that person's in business, they're going to get paid you each and every month. What are they going to be in business for? One year, five years, 10 years, 30 years, 50 years? That money's still going to be coming in as long as they're matched up with that credit card processor Mm -hmm. and your nonprofit.
0: So what are the other two ways then besides this one?
1: One way is something businesses do all the time. Hey, sign up today and we'll give you this free mug for $20 a month.
0: You mean monthly memberships? you Mm -hmm. You ask
1: your fans, you ask your social media followers, the people that love you to give you 10, 15, 20, $25 a month.
0: Before we move any further, I wanted to give a quick shout out to our main sponsor, Trifun Events, which is a boutique event planning and production agency that will come alongside you, offering personalized event planning and technical support, strategic event design, production and technology management, and flawless execution for live, virtual and hybrid events. The team at Trifun Events is passionate about planning and producing event experiences that get people involved with true moments of interaction, engagement and co-creation while offering white glove treatment throughout the entire planning process, enabling you to reach your event goals with the use of creativity, production tools, and event technology. To find out how Trifun Events can plan and produce your event become memorable, go to Trifunevents.com. I love that we're touching on this because this was a topic that I was uh, discussing with just a recent fundraising expert, and we didn't get the chance to get into this. (laughs) We were talking (laughs) about something else related to sponsorships. Mm -hmm. So I want to hear more about this, like what is the process for doing this and the best practices really?
1: Perfect. Well, you need uh, step one. And if you go to my link tree, which I'll give. I'll have Anca, it in the episode
0: notes. Yeah.
1: I give you a free guide on how to do this. I don't want your money. In fact, the way I just mentioned with Isaac is $0 out of your pocket. This way I'm going to mention is $0 out of your pocket. And the third way, if we have time is also $0 out of your pocket. You don't have to dump thousands of dollars into something and to hope to get a return on investment. The first thing you got to do with this is make sure that you can collect monthly recurring donations, whether that's through PayPal, whatever online system you have, or whomever, as long as you can get it into a recurring model, you have the ability to collect that monthly recurring donation. So you say, mm-hmm. For instance, we've got this t-shirt, pick, design the t-shirt, whatever you want to do. You've got t-shirts already. If you don't have a t-shirt, there's organizations out there like Teespring Printful or the people that I partner with are Ginger and David at reallydesigns.biz. Like really designs? Yeah. Reallydesigns.biz. They charge you no design fee and it's all on demand printing. They don't print it. They don't create it unless the product sells. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a t-shirt that you want to put out there, if you've got a mug, a hat, patch, poker, whatever the thing is, they won't make it. They'll charge you $0 unless someone buys it. Someone buys it, they go in there, they create it, they package it, they ship. At the end of the month, you get the money for whatever is agreed upon. That way you don't have to carry inventory. You don't have to buy a thousand shirts up front. You have the shirts now. You have to go mail these things. Who's got the time for that? They don't do that. There's a fee, but the fee happens only if you're getting paid, which is hard to argue with.
0: The monthly membership that is linked to the swag in a way. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. We had first time, first year nonprofit in Oklahoma mm-hmm. City do this in the free guide. It walks you through clicking the payments, how to create the product for free. And then the third step is the social media post. Right. Mm-hmm. So we designed a social media post. This was for Feed It Forward OKC. One social media post posted one time said, Hey, we've got this great shirt. We're feeding people in Oklahoma City, but we can't feed everybody. We're turning people away each yeah. and every time. And if you sign up, you have at least at least 20 bucks a month, we'll send you this free t-shirt. So you're helping a great cause and you look stylish at the same time. That one post, they had a hundred people say yes, a hundred times 20, is $2,000 a month in monthly recurring donations from one single Facebook post. Who doesn't want an extra two grand a month?
0: Now that assumes (laughs) that you do have an audience online, right? Because there's a lot of nonprofits that for them, building their audience, building their community online was Mm -hmm. more of a second thought, right? And if you have 50 people follow, you obviously you're not going to have the same reach as having thousands of followers so you have to start a little bit like backwards before you even get forward right
1: this is for someone that already has a social media following they had about two thousand people in their group and only 100 said yes that's five percent five percent said yes to this well 100 times 20 bucks is still two grand a month yeah and what we did the next month is we created a different offer with a different product i think it was face mask at the time for 15 dollars for 15 bucks a month, I'm gonna send you this free face mask. Yeah. And she had a whole bunch of other people sign up after that. It's about finding the right offer for everybody. For those who are like, well, I'm not sure, you know, is that legal? I haven't found a single person yet that says it's not legal because why would it be? I, I don't know what it is about this thing, but I mean, what do you mean? I offer a free t-shirt. Yes, offer a free t-shirt. Businesses yeah. have been doing this for generations. Exactly. You are a nonprofit business, you can do this thing too. Yeah, depending on your state, you might have to check the rules. I know California, you have to pay an extra fee to be able to sell things. I see. So check with your state to make sure that you have all the paperwork that allows you to do this. But in Oklahoma, it's nothing. You can set it up today and you can put this post on your social media tomorrow and start making money by the end of the week.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm a huge believer and fan of monthly membership support. Packages as opposed to a one time donation, the same way. Like, I have at least 10 different organizations, and they're very much tied to Eastern Europe, where I come from, missions in Romania that really could use, you know, my hard earned dollars. But on a monthly basis, I know that I can support way more than just trying to throw money once a year here and see what happens. Because what I know they need the most is at the end of the month to look at their balance sheet and be like, okay, we can still run business because we can support our next month's expenses we can do the next thing. And I'm a huge fan of that. And I know that it's something that some organizations are like, what difference does a $20 a month really make? Well, multiply that by yeah. as many times it needs to be to fill that one time donation that you think mm-hmm. is going to fill your need.
1: If you want to create a hundred thousand dollar foundation that's gonna give away a hundred thousand dollars a year, what does that take? Well, if you look at the math, it would take one person at a hundred thousand dollars, right? It'd take two people at fifty thousand dollars, or it would take a hundred people at $84 a month will get you $100,000. 200 people at $42 a month. 400 people at $21 a month. And you can just do the math from there. Our third way to make that monthly recurring donations is actually, right. what you're talking about is about asking for $3, 6 or $9. The third way to do this is by creating some kind of content for your website. I'd go through an interview with Stephen Kuhn and talk about how to turn your website into an active employee. Through his process, he has three nonprofits each generating $200,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And he only asks for three, six or $9, which means he's got thousands upon thousands of supporters, right? But they create content because right now most nonprofits, when you look at their website, it looks like a digital pamphlet. This is who we are. This is what we do. Please give us money. And it has no real value. What he talks about is bringing in people to create content. I'm a big fan of podcasting. I know Anka is a big fan of podcasting. It's the main difference between a website that you go to once and you go back to over and over again. Think of news sites, sports, social media. They always have something new. It's new content, whether it's a blog, a vlog, or our favorite podcast. You have to have a reason for people to come back. So what he does is he created the website that brings in, he brought in 250 guest bloggers, people that are already talking about the things that you care about. Mm -hmm. So let's say you care about uh, people in the veteran space. You might care about PTSD, T. TBI, transition career opportunities, you might care about homelessness or a whole host of other things, mental health, and people are already writing about this. You just offer to host their blog on your webpage to create new content. Now people have a reason to come back. He has a banner that has a question, or excuse me, it has a petition where you can sign the petition and he'll send you updates on how that petition does, and he also has a question of the week. Of course, in order to access any of these, you have to give an email address, and then he Mm -hmm. asks you for your support to keep that website up and running at three, six, or $9. Well, it's so successful. He's got three nonprofits raking in $200,000 a month. Could $200,000 a month keep your nonprofit afloat? Absolutely.
0: yeah. A lot of nonprofits. I mean, there's definitely a lot of nonprofits at that level that could certainly say, yes, give me half of that and I'll be happy.
1: Oh, yeah. Even a third of that, right?
0: (laughs) I was going to ask you, actually, as we're segue into this um, podcasting as a tool for a nonprofit to use it, start their podcasting show and use it as a means to not just provide content, but build in revenue. What are some of the best practices to anyone that's listening?
1: Oh, absolutely. I just wanted to mention before we we jump over to that, you don't even have to create your own content. You can go to a website called buildmycontent.com and Mm -hmm. there's people that that will write articles for you. You just have to post them. You give them a topic, they write it, they send it to you for approval and then you post it on your website. So you're not even having to create your own blog posts. But for podcasting, there is definitely a bunch of ways that podcasting can help you. One of the things is you can not only create content, but every single person you interview is going to help you build your authority, build your credibility and build your knowledge base. Yeah. So if you're even a small nonprofit and you're trying to help foster children, you can bring... bring Bring in endless people to interview any social worker, anyone in the police or the justice system, any other foster care providers, any other nonprofit that deals with foster care or kids aging out of the foster care system. You can bring in your city council, your mayor, your state, and federal representatives, even your governor can come on the show and talk about what they're doing to help your cause. So, what does that do for you? Now, anyone at the state, city, or federal level Visibility. is now they now know who you are, and anytime something comes up in their world involving this, they're going to go to the expert, which is now you, because you interviewed them on your show. Yeah, right. You're now seen as as the expert. Every person that I get to interview helps me get a little bit smarter on everything nonprofit. Absolutely,
0: And I've had some fantastic guests and this is a lot of amazing information, Travis, that you're sharing because it's something that unbeknownst to me, the reason why I started my podcast is because I wanted to have fun. <laughs> really? No, actually, I <laughs> wanted to learn more things that like you learn a little bit from everyone by just mm-hmm. having a conversation, by just being oh, willing absolutely. to hear the other side of the topic. And you might think you might know everything about something. Yeah. If you start listening to the other perspective, there's always something that you don't think about, because let's be honest, as long as we leave, we're going to learn. I mean, that's the ideal. I mean, that's the growth mindset that we should all have. So thank you for sharing all those things. Couldn't agree more with what you're saying there. Now, thinking of you and the history, because you've got quite the history, Travis, and <laughs> your story is quite a story. Now, leaning on that, how does anyone go from surviving to thriving after COVID? COVID-19
1: pandemic? Uh, well, for me, it, it really comes down to choice. See, I didn't have a choice of most of the things that happened to me, but I did have the choice of whether or not I was going to remain a victim and remain in that victimhood. I could keep pointing fingers and said, all this stuff happened to me, it's this mm-hmm. person's fault, and I could be okay with that forever. Or I could say, hey, this happened to me, and now what am I going to do about it? How am I going to react? How am I going to respond? And when you realize that you have that choice, and let me pause here for a second, if you've had some serious trauma, you might not currently be capable of making that choice. Please, mm-hmm. please, please seek the help that you need to, to get past that trauma just in general, so you can get to a place where you can choose, where you have the ability to choose, but you still have the ability to choose to get help. So please yeah. choose to get help. I found that uh, through all my different moves, there was always someone saying something like, it's my way or the highway. Just like, like, shut up, stop asking questions, we're just going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. But I found that people doing the same thing in different places all said the same thing, my way or the highway, but they were doing it differently, mm-hmm. which means. Means that there is many different ways to accomplish things, many different ways in life. You see those people all the time, like, oh, it's almost my 30th birthday. I haven't accomplished whatever. There's no timeline. There's no way that it has to do it for everybody. You can figure out your own thing. I didn't know what to do after high school. I graduated at 17. I was working three jobs. I was opening up at Burger King, driving across town to work at the lunch counter at the bowling alley, going to Walmart to unload truck from five to two in the morning. And you know, I was doing that five days a week. And my dad approached me. He's like, hey, you know, there's this job out at the community college working in the maintenance crew. They pay 18 bucks an hour. Now this is 10 more dollars an hour than I was making in any other job. And I was like, dad, I already got three jobs. I don't have time for another job. He's like, get rid of those three crappy jobs and get get one good job. Right. And I understood what he was saying, but I didn't think that that was the right job for me. I ended up joining the military. I wanted my college to be paid for. I wanted to have opportunities to grow and learn and to serve. And that was really kind of, one of the beginning points of my life changing because they didn't care where I came from. They didn't care about my past or my problems. It didn't matter how much money I made as long as I showed up ready to work in the uniform of the day and all that other stuff. I followed the same set of rules as everybody else does and I could decide and create my own future. What a lot of people don't tell people growing up is everyone can decide and create their own future. You get to design what your day looks like and you just go work some nine to five job or some hourly job. You've decided that you want your day to look like that. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be if you don't want it to be. Maybe you need education. Maybe you need to meet the right people. Maybe you got to change your circle of friends. It wasn't until my mid-20s that I realized, even though I was do good, doing good things in the Navy, I didn't have the right group of friends. The people that I hung around with didn't care about their careers, their education, their families, and really weren't that great of people.
0: Tell me who you hang out with, and I'll tell you who you are.
1: <laughs> it, it was exactly right. I started hanging out with people that cared about their education, cared about their careers, cared about their faith cared about being good husbands and good fathers. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I did that, everything changed. All of a sudden I got accepted for an officer program in the Navy. They sent me to college full time, got my commission, got my degree, then sent me to flight school. That wouldn't have happened if I hung out with the old group of friends.
0: Yeah. If you find
1: that you're not where you want to be and you're spending your time in front of the TV or drinking at the bar on weekends or drinking at home or going gambling or whatever the thing is, those people you hang around with are going to help you keep doing Doing those things. If you're not okay with that, you have the choice to change the people you hang around. People are like, well, where do I find board members? Well, that big plaque you see when you drive into any town and it tells you who the service organizations are, whether you've got VFW, American Legion, Masonry, Rotary Club, Chamber of Commerce, those are the people that are involved in helping their city grow. And those are the kind of people that you need to hang around. They're going to help you start your own business, get you where you want to be a nonprofit, help spread your message and care about you as a person. If you're not hanging around with people like that, that's where they're going to be. They're hiding in plain sight. Go talk to them. Figure out how you can do it better. Figure out who you can meet that is achieving the thing that you want to achieve and hang out with that person. Ask for a mentorship relationship. Talk to them. Have a conversation. Get introduced. Don't be scared. It's already no if you don't ask. The yeah. only chance you have of getting a yes is by asking.
0: Absolutely. And sometimes it does take a little bit of getting out of your comfort zone. You're not going to accomplish much if you just stay in your cocoon of safety of like what- like hiding behind closed doors and be like, well, I can't wait for them to come to me.
1: (laughs) Success doesn't live in your comfort zone. The body of your dreams doesn't live in your comfort zone. Millions of dollars don't live in your comfort zone. They're just beyond it.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Travis, for sharing your heart and your best tips on how to get a nonprofit off the ground, but also really good common sense advice for living the life that you always wanted, but you just need to go and get it, like grab it. You can't just wait for it to happen, to you? And make the choices and the changes that are required to get there. Now, no. if anyone wants to learn more about you and from you, you mentioned, you know, the link tree. i I'm going to have that in an episode. So notes, anyone else that they can find you, any other way you can be reached out.
1: Absolutely. I'm on every social media, Nonprofit Architect. Connect with me, say hi, ask questions. Absolutely. You can go to nonprofitarchitect.org and on there you can find some of what we do. And you can also find the Nonprofit Podcast Network. You can find my show and Anka's show and a dozen other shows that deal with nonprofit specific topics and you can learn how to do it better. You've got to take your time to learn how to do some of this stuff because no one's coming to save you. Unless you're taking the the steps to do it, to make it happen, no one's coming to bail you out, save you, to revolutionize your life. You have to do it.
0: Flash news. (laughs) Some people need to hear that. Thank you, Travis. I appreciate you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. You have a wonderful rest of your day and go and change the world one little nonprofit at a time.
1: I will. Thanks so much for having me on the show, Anka.
0: Well, friends, thank you so much for hanging with me and learning from Travis. As far as we're concerned, we're going to be touching some topics in the fundraising and nonprofit world in our next episode. So stay tuned to subscribe. And I would love to hear from you as far as topics go. Connect with me on on social media via direct messaging or podcast at threefunnyvents.com. Thank you. Have a great rest of your day.